There's a particular subject I want to speak on this morning that's nothing new to anybody. In fact, I I commonly say that I have precious few original thoughts on my own. I, I just don't have them. I try to bring it all from here, from God's Word, from the Holy Spirit. So sometimes it might not take form as a perfect flow, but by the end I, I pray it all fits together. So it's nothing new that I bring to you, but it's something that needs to be reinforced. And there were many times I believe that Paul, and even in the Word it says a few times, but he says, I bring this to your remembrance. And the reason why we bring things to remembrance from the Word of God is to reinforce Concrete is made strong by re-rod. Right, Greg? Without re-rod, what would happen? And when Paul would say, I bring this back to your remembrance, he was putting re-rod into God's Word by the Spirit of the Lord. And so I want to bring to you something that has been... to me has been unavoidable in my my meditating, my pondering and savoring memories as well as the Word of God, experiences and testimonies, the greatness of God. And out of the middle of that, this past couple of weeks, several weeks, has come this one subject that we all know is very common to to church life, and that is discipleship. Now, I don't know in the speaking of that what that might trigger in your thinking. And so I was just pondering that, and I felt a strong urge for the Lord to to begin to throw some re-rod into that concrete. And last Sunday, last Sunday, just in speaking from, you know, Pastor Mike is a friend of mine. He's not just a, a pastoral colleague. Um, for seven years, he sat in here when I was pastoring, and he was my, he was my amen corner. I, no one brought me strength like Pastor Mike did. And so, I am not surprised that the Lord would say, Rip, go back and, and uh, repay that honor to him. And uh, I enjoy doing that. That's why I'm here. Um, the Lord has brought me to come alongside of him and to, and to bless him. And so I do nothing, I, I do nothing, um, on my own here in this church as an organization, as a body of Christ. And so just in passing, I heard him say the same thing that the Lord has been speaking to me. I, he says, I, I struggle with discipleship and what to do with people just to make sure that they have a rooting and grounding in God's word. And I'm like, and while he was, while he was still going on about what was coming out of his heart, which, which blessed me to hear it, <laughs> I was grinning from ear to ear and I, and I interrupted him and I said, I can't believe I'm hearing what you're saying because that's been on my heart. See, this thing about discipleship, 
has frustrated pastors and youth pastors, mainly because we know we should be passing along what God has given to us. We know that it is part of the great, it is the great commission. Not a part of, it's the great commission. The last thing that was written in the Gospel of Matthew. And Larry, if you could, would you bring up on the screen Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is the very last that Matthew had to give in his remembrance. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, I pray that in the preaching of your word, Lord, that you'd bless your servant with freshness from heaven. And Lord, that you'd look upon the words that are spoken. And Lord, that it would bless you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take and go in between the words, in between the sentences, and fill in the rest. And Lord, we will all give you glory and thank you for your presence in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. My wife Vicki and I came to Christ April 5th, 1981. 1981. As maybe a few of you here that weren't alive then, but most of you were. And when I came in to the kingdom... Everything was so brand new. The day that, that Vicki and I surrendered our lives to Jesus, we didn't just merely try Jesus to see how it would work and, you know, maybe things will be better if we go to church and there was none of that. I'd never been so slapped into reality by the Holy Spirit as that day. And there were about 25 to 30 others at that altar in that little church over by Bill and Carol's in Batoski on that day. It was an amazing day. And out of that, our pastor, Pastor Harold May, he's with Jesus now, he felt a need to be sure that these young believers had the strength of the very basics of the Word of God. And so he started a foundations class. And in that foundations class, we were given each week a lesson of a particular verse that really is basic to the believer to learn how to live by. Not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge that that word would bring to our lives and to help us, to help us live for Jesus. 1981. I still remember those verses. 
I still remember those days. This past week, my wife had a birthday on, on Thursday, and some of you know that. And, and she and I, we went out to dinner with our very best friends over in Petoskey. And some of you might know Ken and Connie Golding. And, and uh, you know, Ken and Connie have not missed a beat. They have not stumbled. They have not lost a particular step in the Lord. I have never seen anyone just walk so steadily in love with Jesus and love with each other and, and in love to do His will in their lives. And it just brings a freshness to me every time we get together. And, and last Thursday was one of those times. And I said, I said, man, you two are just incredible. So consistent. And we sat there and we talked about the good old days. And the good old days are still bright and shining. And in those days, I talked to them about it. I talked to them about, you remember, you remember that class? Now they had not gone to that class because they weren't new believers. Vicki and I were. And out of that class, we received something that still sticks with us to this day. So I just want to give to you some reinforcement to what it means to be a disciple. Over the past several years, my colleagues, which, you know, I, I am so appreciative of the Internet and a particular social media page because it, it allows me to be in contact with more people of my own kind as well as some that aren't and I need to have them in my life. And <laughs> so they tell me. And uh, do you have people like that in your life? You need to hear this, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I thank God for it. I, I love the body of Christ. The ones who are leaders, even more so. And I appreciate those who have been in ministry through the years and are still to this day. But there's something that's come up out of the new Over the last six, seven, eight years, a fad term. You know, we have fad terms. You know, a a term that's really popular and it's like you're, if you use that, you know, you try to drop it into a sentence just to let everybody know that you're in the know. You are really on the cutting edge of something modern, you know, something cool, something trendy. And (laughs) if you know me, I don't do well in that situation because I believe that valuable things do not pass away quickly, and these terms do. So out of this term of what is a Christian, we try to, we try to come up with a better term so that it will be more relevant. Ooh, that's a, that's a tingly word right there. I want to be relevant. I remember when that came into the body of Christ in the early nineties and pastoring my first church back then. It was like, oh, relevant. I want to be relevant. Everybody wants to be relevant. But Peter, the apostle, would have nothing of it because he said, you are a peculiar, peculiar people. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. 
We aren't supposed to fit in this world. I don't care what kind of fad terms you use. But there's a fad term for a believer that that all the young guys and the, you know, the up-and-coming pastors that are using, they call it, and, and you this might go zing over your head, but I just want to help you with this for a moment, that there is a new term out for a Christian. It's not new probably, but maybe you haven't heard it. Maybe it is. Christ follower. Have you heard that? Trying to rename Christians so an unbeliever will know what you are. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So you can be more relevant in saying, I'm a Christian and people will look at you and say, no, you're weird. I embrace that. My bestest pastor friend, Jeff Halavin, he said this when I was his youth pastor. He said this. He says, he says, if you were weird before Jesus, you're going to be weird after you get saved in Jesus. But the best part is you're going to heaven. Whether you're weird or not does not mean whether you go to heaven or not. And a lot of people will try to put you in that little box. Pigeonholing. <laughs> but when I heard this term, For a disciple being called Christ followers, that bothered me. It kind of rubbed me wrong. And it's not an attitudinal problem. It's a problem that's biblical. Because Christ followers in the Bible did not have a good ending. I just want to tell you that. Okay, number one. Number one. Are we to make Christ followers? Is that biblical? Now, the best thing you can do to do things biblically is to do it by the Bible, correct? Is Christ's follower found anywhere in the Bible as that term? No. Well, yes. (laughs) Yes, and it doesn't have a good ending. Let's go. Let's just just take that aside for a minute. But I just want to say this, that when it comes to the term of Christ's follower... We are not encouraged in the Great Commission to go and make Christ followers. We are to go and make disciples. I want to try to take a few moments this morning and describe to you more from a biblical aspect, which is no pat on my back. It's what I ought to be doing. The Great Commission is that we are to go among the nations and make disciples. And I would ask you this this morning. How can you make disciples if you yourself, biblically, are not? Interesting thought, isn't it? How can you give away that which you do not possess? And the closer that you can get to being a disciple the more you will see yourself able to make disciples. And some of you might think, I'm not a disciple because, you know, those disciples, there are only 12 of them, and they passed away. Listen, Jesus said, go and make them. That's a command, is it not? We're commanded to make disciples. 
Now, the first thing it does, you, you have to go about leading them to Jesus and bringing them into the knowledge of faith, the knowledge of Christ, who he is, the Son of God, and in bringing them to a point of decision. That's what evangelists do, but it's also what you and I should be doing. We, we can't take this thing and push it off on a certain professional, oh, they're paid to do that. Who was being paid when Jesus said, go and do this? You and I are to make disciples. So, let's go to, let's start, let's start with the very bottom of this in the Great Commission about where it starts. And if you will turn with me to Mark 3 or read on the screen, Verses 13 through 16. Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to those he wanted. He called to him. He received unto them him, Jesus, called those he wanted. And they came to him. Isn't that a good picture? Just ponder that thought for a moment. He called to those he wanted. And they came to him. Isn't that what you did? Isn't that what we do every day? We cannot look over that quickly. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed, and then there's the listing of the 12 we don't need to go into this morning. But there were 12 of them. But you know what? Beyond the 12, how many were there? How many? Trivia. Did you ever play Bible trivia? Remember that? Remember that game? I, I loved playing that. With, I was a youth pastor back then, and, and I used to love playing that with the pastor and his wife. <laughs> Had a lot of fun. Uh, We would give the stupidest answers sometimes and just laugh and say, oh, I need to study. I need to brush up on that, I believe was the term. 72. So don't say that the disciples were just 12. Were they Christ followers? You betcha. To the death. He sent out the twelve with authority to heal diseases and to cast out demons. That's authority. You know, we have that. So if we have that same authority today, which we do, does that not put us in the category of how we should live as disciples? Makes sense, doesn't it? It flows. Discipleship is not a course you take, it's a life that you live. And that is the frustration that we had as youth pastors and even pastors all struggle with, how do we do this? (laughs) It has a very simple starting point. Did you miss it? We just read right over the answer to that. Did did you miss it? Why did he call the twelfth? So they could go out and preach? No, ultimately, ultimately, 
But, but why? What was the first reason that was given? Come on. So they could be with Him. What is the first, the first, what is the entry level of being a disciple? To live with Him. To be with Him. It's not, it's not a title. It's not a name. It's identity. It is who you are. We used to have this old phrase and you know it. It's, if it was, if it was illegal to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence against you to convict you in a court of law? Interesting thought. Later on, when Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended up on high, Peter, James, and John, they just separated themselves from the other disciples in, in the regard of how they ministered. They were the three that were around Jesus the most, and John, the most out of all of them, he was best friends with Jesus. But when they healed, when Peter Peter and John James would minister. They got themselves into trouble. And one time they had to appear to the, to the high court of the church. The high priest. Oh my. The Pharisees. And they looked at him and, and they were trying to figure out, I thought we crucified Christ. How come these guys are doing the same things that Jesus did? And do you remember what they said in the book of Acts? It said, when they saw, when they saw them and they heard them and they knew that they were unschooled, but they did take note. They'd been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. Jesus called the twelve and later the seventy-two that they could be with Him. The first step in any, any level of discipleship and being a disciple is that you're with Him. You stay with Him. You are with Him around the campfires. You're with Him in prayer times at night. You're with Him going village to village. You're with Him getting dirty feet. You are with Him washing your feet, washing His feet. You are with Him in difficult times. You are with Him when people want to kill Him. You are with Him when you wonder, oh, look what He's doing now. And you want to just shiver and say, I can't believe that He's doing that, but He is. And I'm giving regard to the two times that Jesus flipped over the tables in the temple. Can you imagine the second time? The first time probably really freaked out the twelve. Okay? Genuinely. But you know what the worst part was? Is the second time he did it, they were going, oh no, here we go again. You know you're a disciple when? The Lord calls you into things. In taking His identity, He has you do things that you would not otherwise do. 
But you do it to be obedient to Him. You do it because you saw Him do it in the Scriptures. And the first question in your mind is, this is going to look really weird. So? How many of us want to just be socially perfect? Hmm? Oh, I know. There's some in here that's like way beyond that. I'm one of them. Way beyond that. In working various jobs through the years, I would... I would halt what I'm doing to pray for somebody. I didn't care if the boss was looking. I didn't care if anybody was looking. Sometimes I'd start preaching and say things. I'd shake my head later and say, mm, well, Lord, that must have been you because I wouldn't have done that. You might be a disciple if. Step one in a discipleship course is to be with him. Can I give you a couple examples? It's really easy. How about, and if you have heard me any length of time through the years, I, I love touching on this subject of being with the Lord and, and being hungry for God and being desirous of his presence in my life. And, and, and it's like I can't expect someone else to go get a hold of God for me. Doesn't work. Does not work. Joshua. Joshua did this. When Israel was out in the desert and Moses was leading them for 40 years in the desert, during the years of provocation, it's called. The time of provocation. And there were times when uh, when Joshua would follow his Master Moses out to the tent of meeting and he would go out there with him and the glory of the Lord would come down on that, that tent of meeting as, as a, as a pillar of fire would just come down and it would rest there. The glory of God in manifested presence would be there in that little tent of meeting when Moses was inside meeting with God himself. And it's, we know this, that it says that when, when Moses would leave the tent, when his business with God was, was done, and he would walk back to the camp, and then he would have business with people, guess where Joshua was? He would follow Moses. Joshua would follow Moses out to that tent of meeting, but when it came time for Moses to leave, guess what Joshua did? He lingered. Read about it. He was a disciple. Jesus called the disciples to him that they might be with him. There were Christ followers. Christ followers followed, but they weren't living with Jesus. They did not want him so badly. They wanted him, and then they wanted their world. It doesn't mix. When I was in uh, campus life, Vicki and I were immediately thrust into youth ministry, six months old in Jesus, and here we were um, 
showing these young ones in high school how to live for God. Six months. And Jim and Doyce LaFoon took us in with recommendations from our pastor and, and elders from the church and said, get Rip and Vicky. They, they will help you. They will bless you. Get them. And so we went into, into ministry with Campus Life. Anybody understand what Campus Life? You remember Campus Life? Yeah. Okay, a couple of you, Vicky and I had the, the Petoskey group, the Petoskey Club, we called it the club, uh, in Petoskey for Campus Life. And, and so every, every couple, every other, every three weeks, every, uh, we'd meet on Mondays, that we would get together, I would have the message. And our message was formatted out of a book, curriculum. And Jim says here, you know, and, and I would follow it as best I could, but some of them, I just, they didn't settle with me, and I, I, so I just leaned on the Lord. And so one time I went, and we, it was winter time, and I was growing a beard, and I can't grow the bestest of beards like most of you guys could do that, but, um, you know, I, I, I had, I had some growth going on. And my wife didn't like it, she never liked me to grow a beard, not because I looked bad with it, it's because she didn't like it. And, uh, and it's okay. So that night before Campus Life, guess what I did? Did I shave it off? Kinda. Half of it came off. And I left the other half on. I did it because the Lord told me to do it. And so I went and I thought, I wonder if anybody's gonna say anything. Nobody did. And so I sat there at our time after we've had our fun games and icebreakers, we call them, and, and we had a format. And so it came down to my time to, to speak, and I'd take 10 minutes, 15. And when I was speaking for those couple minutes, I said, did anybody notice half my beard was gone? And they all of a sudden they're like, well... That sounds like a trick question. It was. And so I, I wove together a message of what it is to follow Jesus today, follow the world tomorrow, follow Jesus today, follow the world tomorrow. And I said, my beard, half and half, You know how ridiculous that looks right now to me, to you, for all of us? That's how ridiculous you look to the Lord who cannot stand a mixture and to be a hypocrite. You're trying to have this much of God and this much of the world and the two do not mix. I said, choose you this day whom you will serve. That was not campus life level. So I went home and shaved it off and we have in John chapter six an amazing story of the mark of a Christ follower and a mark of a disciple. And it has everything to do with Jesus giving a teaching that none of them could really understand 
and they were shaking their head, but the twelve decided to stay with Jesus because they trusted him, because they had been with him. And it came, it came to the point in, in John 6 where he talks about my blood is real drink, my body is real food. If you do not drink my blood and eat of my body, real drink, real food, you have no part of me. Wow. And it says that at that point, John says this after the fact, okay? After the fact. John says this. He says from that point, many, many walked away and followed him no more. What was the problem? They weren't disciples. They were followers. So that term Christ follower really bothered me, as you can imagine. When I heard all the, the young pastors, you know, in their, in their 30-somethings, and they're all talking, you know, Christ follower. Is he a Christ follower? And it's like, ah, man, should I tell them? No, I'm going to let them bump along on their own. Sometimes I... It wasn't for me to tell them that, listen, there's a difference between Christ follower and disciple. And I'm here to tell you that the Christ followers, it didn't end well. They walked away and followed no more. Even with the twelve, how many were at the cross when Jesus was on it? One. Wow. That's tough stuff. So how do we make it? Easy. Deciding that you can't. Except for Christ. But through Christ, everything you can. That's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in knowing such, why don't we at least try? Don't think that the best is behind you. Not for a moment. In this dark age in which we live, this world needs, they don't need Christ followers, they need disciples. Because you can only give that which you possess. Tell them, Jesus is coming soon. And you might think to yourself, well, that's, you know, they've been hearing that for years. The disciples lived that way. Disciples, again, they lived like Jesus was coming back the very next moment. Maranatha. Oh, I pray that in this day and age, you are using that term again. Brought that up, a, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. I just brought that up to y'all in, in, in a little exhortation. And, and I, I long to be so expecting Jesus to come back. Even as Greg was speaking, he is expectant. For those who say, they, they argue against a pre-trib rapture saying, you know, I believe that we're going to see the worst of it and then we're going to see Jesus come back. And that's okay. You can believe any of those ways and still be saved. But my question is, why? 
Wouldn't you want to see him immediately? Don't you miss him? I was taking a shower one day and sometimes, you know, sometimes, you know, you get alone and the Lord can speak to you, you know, and, and I'm no different. And what, and I heard the voice of the Lord say, Rip, don't you long to see the face of the one that gives you good gifts? Don't you long to see the one who speaks wonderful things to you? Don't you long to see the one who cooks you good meals? And it's like, oh, how's my hunger factor for Jesus? How much do I long for him? Let's turn it around. How much does he long to see you? Back in the mid-80s, there was a singer by the name of Larnell Harris, and he sang a song, I Miss My Time With You. And as a young pastor, youth pastor, I was driving down Hoover, Hoover Road, heading to church office, and I had WMUZ on, and, you know, and I, and I came across, I was like, God, I'm convicted. Oh, Lord. He misses you. He misses you. Be a disciple and be much with him. Okay, another part. No, this isn't a three-part message and we're going to go to 1230. I I will respect everything for that. But I could. Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 48 Disciple is a root word for discipline. Obvious enough, isn't it? It's right smack in the middle of it. Some years back, I grabbed my old Funkin' Wagnalls, and I looked up the word discipline. Disciple, discipline, the habit of obedience. Habit of obedience. You cannot be a disciple and not be just okay with, I'm going to run this through my mind and whether this should make sense or, you know, I'm sorry, but it takes faith to please God and He's going to ask you to step out in it every now and then, right? His ways are higher than mine. You probably already know that. But I've learned to live by that. Disciple, discipline, discipline means habit of obedience. So out of that comes, you know, all of that comes from this word disciple. And so in reading this, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? (laughs) Can you hear his frustrations? Can you see he's trying to teach them a thing or two about submitting to him? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, that is, excuse me, time out, James, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Oh, that was from our discipleship class from 1981. 
still remember it. Still live by it. Try to, by God's grace. Everyone who comes to me, comes to me. Your mama didn't make you do that. And he's saying, how come you don't do what I say and you come to me? First church we pastored, big tall guy was our one of our board members. Deacons, excuse me. Board members are not biblical. Deacons are. He was a true deacon. Man of faith. About six foot six. Big deep voice. On fire for Jesus. He said to me, he says, he says, you know, he says, I go and play, I go and play basketball on the courts down in the city. This is Detroit area, okay? And he would go and play basketball, and you know, when you are on a three and on three court, you know, things can get rough sometimes. There's no referee, beep, you know. You're just on your honor to not be dirtier than dirty, okay? And so, he says, one time he was playing, and he says, things got a little bit heated, things got a little bit rough, and I followed a guy, and, and he was just doing nothing but complaining the whole game. And he says, time out. And he looks at him, and he says, did your mom make you come down here and play? Say la. People followed Jesus, but they didn't do what he had to say. You know what they followed him for? Fill in the blanks, but one of them is because he could feed 5,000 at one time. From nothing, basically. Jesus said that to the disciples. He said, oh, you follow me because, you know, a lot of people follow me. They come to me. Crowds follow me because, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They follow Jesus, but don't do anything he says. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. In this day and age of, of YouTube, up pops my on my random feed on YouTube, and if it wasn't for you two, I wouldn't have been able to do half the stuff I had to do this past week, by the way. So, you know, I, I look at YouTube and, and here comes one of those, those, those blips of a flood and a house was floating down a river. What if that was your house? Wouldn't you be horrified? You and your spouse and your family, you had, you had maybe generations of memories in that house. A storm came. You didn't factor it in. It was swept off its foundations. And there it goes, floating down the river. Oh, let, I want to be at the first, I want to be at the first bridge that it hits. When you Hear the words of the Lord, and you are obedient to them. Your house will not be the one on YouTube going down the river, banging off every rock, river bank, and bridge, and certainly won't be on the 11 o'clock news. 
people going, wow. But you know what? Your life in Christ, if you should get off into your own thing, get off into the world, get off into pride, get off into ego, be off into stubbornness, you are going to be that house. It will come to a wreck and people will look at you and say, wow, look at that. And I believe Matthew says its destruction was great. That means people knew it, people saw it. Obedience will keep you safe in the Lord. Dangerous in the world, but safe in the Lord. Discipleship 101. One of the things that we need to know right now in which we are living, that many followers that are Christ followers aren't there anymore. Their life has become a spiritual destruction. I take no joy in it. I don't stand there and go, wow, look what happened to them. Because I'm not the one who's standing on the riverbank watching the house go by. But it's what happens But we do not follow what the Lord has for us and the right things to do are flowing from Him and we already have in the Word and we're not living according to this Word. And if you don't know all that's in it, start reading more. Don't let let it be said of you, oh, God moves in mysterious ways. I wonder how many of them read the Bible from cover to cover and made a study of it and made a life based on it. It's usually those who aren't that deep in the things of God who say, God moves in mysterious ways. How many knows that term? I hope you think twice next time you might think about saying it or someone else says it. The Lord God, there are many mysteries found in Him, but the very important ones are found in Scripture. They are there. The Bible has been given for our living. Live by it. And you will not be like that house. Dig down deep. Luke says dig down deep. That means don't be superficial. That's what a Christ follower is. Superficial. A disciple is one who digs down deep. (laughs) Uh, You've heard it said. Simple and easy are are two mutually exclusive terms at time, but it kind of boggles the mind. How could something so simple be so difficult? Dig. And you will know everything you need to know about digging. It's simple. Is it easy? <laughs> Scott, no. Uh-uh. Really simple. Grab the number two backhoe and go to it. Tell me how that works. Write a book on how I can dig a hole. Give seminars. This is how you dig. Isn't it ridiculous? It's that simple. The things of God, if you know Him, are that simple. A child can understand it. Suffer the children to come to me for such as the kingdom of God are given to them. They will inherit the things of God. A child can understand it. Somewhere along the line, we get just a little bit complicated. We like to be sophisticated. 
When it comes to living in Christ, keep things simple. Keep the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Hmm? Amen? Could we stand on that, please? Join me. Pastor Mike and I met at a at a pastors meeting, uh, the Assembly of God pastors before COVID. We used to get around the table a lot, like once a month, you know. And 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 one of the one question was uh, uh was was our our area presbyter was he says I struggle with this. He says how do you do discipleship? I don't understand how y'all do it. Maybe I can learn something. The Spirit of the Lord welled up inside of me and I said to be a disciple does not require a course. Curriculum. We can curriculum people to death. So I just want to let you know something. The basics can be taught but most of it is caught. It takes relationship. And so I pray that this morning, something that has been said this morning will cause you to go deeper in discipleship, more than what you will read in curriculum. Something will just, will just hit you the right way, not the wrong way. If I'm rubbing the cat the wrong way, turn the cat around. <laughs> Amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, I want to thank you for veterans in the faith. And, oh, oh Lord, we're, we're, we are just so blessed to have them here amongst us today. Oh, God. Oh, God. Lord, as we have a moment to just think about what was said, Lord, I know that you were speaking things in between the things that I was speaking. And I pray that those are the things that will be listened to. Perhaps most of the things I didn't say and could have said. But I pray that they are words of Holy Ghost conviction and not hell-sent condemnation. People, I want to tell you, if you are in Christ, there is now therefore no condemnation. Those who are in Christ... None. We are free in Him. His commands are not grievous, is what John said. First John 4. His commands are light. His yoke is light and His burden is easy. Be a disciple this week. Go from this place. Lift it up in the power of the Holy Spirit. May His anointing flow in your life this week. In a time when you need Him to move, I pray that the Lord will show you it's my turn now and that He would move powerfully in your midst. I speak a blessing of His presence and joy and peace and love be upon you this week in the hardest of times, but also in those quiet times that you spend with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jackie, would you sing that, please?
and Scott. God bless you as you go today. I pray that this is the best week that you have had in a long time. God bless you.